0: Good morning, everyone. This is Chris Martin with Heterodox Academy. I'm here today with Dr. April Kelly Wozner. Um, She has written a number of papers and book chapters on ideology in the academy, both about the ideology of professors and the ideology of college students, and the transfer of ideologies, whether it occurs or does not. Um, She's the co-editor of a book uh, called The Still Divided Academy, and uh, she's probably best well known in terms of her work with Heterodox Academy for writing a post about how Marcuse influenced today's college students. So uh, welcome to Heterodox Academy, April. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. I'd like to begin uh, by talking about the blog post you wrote. Could you talk a bit about how Marcuse ties into this larger phenomenon, who he was and how he influenced the American Academy?
1: Yeah, and and it's funny because I don't think students are are reading Mercusa, right? But what we see is that students are acting as if they had, right? So we see this idea that tolerance is not a universal value. Mm -hmm. Um, And and for, um, you know, six decades, we have... Have treated intolerance as a social problem, right? So we started uh-huh. studying intolerance in the 1950s when Americans were very intolerant of communists, uh-huh. and and all of the research since then has treated uh, political intolerance as a problem. Well, uh-huh. Mercusa argues that we should be intolerant of people uh-huh. who are intolerant. So it's the uh-huh. tolerance paradox, right? Uh-huh. That if you if you you know stomp out. Um, the voices that are causing the intolerance, mm-hmm. that you will have a more tolerant society. And so I think that's what we're seeing on college campuses, this idea that we're not intolerant, but
2: mm-hmm. we're just
1: not going to tolerate hate and and, the, and what we view as intolerance.
2: Okay. The
1: problem with that, of course, is that who defines what is hateful, who defines who are the intolerant, what are the values that deserve to be stomped out in a society? And so Mm -hmm. it actually does lead to a great deal of political intolerance, which is what we're seeing on college campuses today.
0: Okay, so for those who aren't familiar with them, how would you describe Marcuse's role in shaping uh, mid-century American politics on the left?
1: And I'll admit I'm not a political theorist, so I I don't go too much into that in in my work, but I think Uh you hear the same language echoed, right? This intolerance Mm -hmm. of intolerance. Um, And (laughs) and so I think in the blog post, I, I used a quote from a student who wrote for the Harvard Crimson and she, you know, she, you, you could have been reading Marcusa, right? You right. could. The idea that if we want a society, we're not going to, we're not going to support free speech anymore. If we want a society that's committed to equality, instead we are going to limit the speech of people that we think mm-hmm. are undermining those values of equality. And I think you hear that in a lot of the arguments about what students are doing on campus when they're protesting mm-hmm. speakers, when they're upset about professors. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that they, they are doing it for a greater good.
2: Uh Um, and
1: so, so we have this conflict of values and I think Mercuza argues that the greater good, um, requires us to be politically intolerant.
0: Okay. And, um, when you wrote that blog post, it was based on a couple of empirical analyses of one data set, um, and that was about two years ago. Could you talk a bit about whether you've done more empirical analyses since then?
1: I have. In fact, there's a second and even a third blog post that I've written that I actually like a lot more. It hasn't gotten as much attention, Uh Um, but I think we can start looking at what is happening and starting as social scientists to diagnose Uh the problem. And I think think the evidence points to two kind of underlying causes as to why political intolerance is on the rise. Uh Um, First of all, it's notable that political intolerance is on the rise because for many many years when we studied political tolerance mm-hmm. the conclusion was that every generation was more tolerant than their parents
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: samuel Stouffer and others wrote that america is just going to get more and more and more tolerant over time mm-hmm. and so that first blog post the one that talks about Makusa, also shows that 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 trend has reversed for the first time since we've started studying it
2: All and right, so i can okay.
1: s- I, I find that to be um you know pretty important um because it's a reversal of what we thought was happening. And so Mm -hmm. the question as to why America's youth today are less tolerant than their parents for the first time since we measured political tolerance, I think it is an important question that begs some Mm -hmm. empirical study. Um, And so, Uh,
0: uh, go go ahead. I was gonna say, which data sets have you used so far?
1: So political tolerance is easiest to track on the General Social Survey, the GSS. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because that's what we've been using since the 1950s. Right. So yeah. if you want to look at things over time, it's really mm-hmm. what you have to go with, even though mm-hmm. some people argue it's not the most perfect measure of, of intolerance. Um, mm-hmm. There are debates about how we measure it, but I think no matter how you measure it, the trends kind of stay the same, right? The baseline mm-hmm. might move up or down a little bit, depending mm-hmm. on the measures you use, but we mm-hmm. see these same trends. In fact, when I wrote that, um, First blog post. It was before yeah. some of these campus um, stories had hit the news, right. and I actually, I actually got a little pushback from people that were saying right. I was wrong. That that the youth aren't intolerant. That the okay. that this this is not happening. Okay. Um, no one's saying that anymore. Right? So
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, but going to the GSS, what was the question they used in the nineteen fifties for that?
1: Well, the GSS is actually, they look at a number of groups. So the uh-huh. GSS used a fixed group definition of political tolerance. So they ask okay. whether or not you would allow um, a number of groups that, that people find controversial uh-huh. to speak. And so then when we look at tolerance, it, it's a scale, it's a compilation uh-huh. of whether or not you would allow usually five or six groups
2: okay. to
1: um, speak in public, uh-huh. to teach college, right, to, uh-huh. to teach a course in a college or university, and whether or mm-hmm. not if people um, argued that their books should be withdrawn from a public library, if you would support okay. that, right? right? So, kind of a book banning measure. Okay. And so, it's it's all three of those things for different groups. And what okay. we were most intolerant towards in the 1950s was communists, right? So, people yeah. wouldn't want communists teaching their children at the university. Yeah. They wouldn't want communists um, speaking in their communities. Today, the two groups that trigger the those reactions the most um, or on the left and right, so it's anybody that's that's racist, and mm-hmm. that's defined by the GSS as somebody that argues um, for some sort of, um, you know, genetic superiority or intellectual mm-hmm. superiority of races.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so racists are at least tolerated, and then radical Muslims.
0: Okay, so, so where did the radical so- Muslims question get added? That um, that's, that's a good
1: question. More recently.
2: recently.
0: More recently. Okay. Yeah.
1: And so when you track over time, it becomes uh-huh. more difficult because you have these different measures. Right. What I've done is looked at more recent data, but uh-huh. just look at it across generations.
2: Okay. Right. And
1: so, so, for a long time we thought tolerance was increasing because uh-huh. we weren't adding new measures to the to the uh-huh. questionnaire. And so what we found was that tolerance of communists was increasing. Right. But a lot of studies that came out in the eight, 1980s, 1990s argued we're not becoming more tolerant, it's just our dislike has shifted to new groups. Right. And so that's why those new groups
0: got added to the to the survey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, have you done any kind of maybe even informal qualitative work on why this is going on interviews with people
1: well i've actually done some studies um, of college students on my own campus i've I've done some other work um and i think there's two things that we can point to and so the second blog post i wrote at heterodox that talked about um oh trade protectionism in the marketplace Mm -hmm. of ideas looks at this variable of whether or not you have confidence in your civic skills and your civic knowledge. Right. And what we find is that that correlates pretty strongly um, mm-hmm. and is a good predictor even with controls mm-hmm. of political tolerance. Mm-hmm. So if you think you know a lot mm-hmm. relative to other people, if you think you can hold your own in a political conversation, mm-hmm. you're more tolerant than people who um, are you know, insecure about their civic knowledge.
2: Right.
1: So I think the perception of these college student protesters is that they're, you know, ideological radicals who have these strong opinions. And mm-hmm. yet, what the data shows is that wanting to shut down other voices actually reflects an insecurity in your ability mm-hmm. to, you know, defend your own.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, um, the decline in civic knowledge, I think, is a big is a big factor in political intolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've seen a decline in civic knowledge at K through 12, um, mm-hmm. in part because of, of a new emphasis on science and technology and STEM skills, which I think mm-hmm. is great.
2: Yeah. But it's
1: come at the cost sometimes of the emphasis on civics and civic knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so you can pull up any number of, of Pew or Gallup surveys that, mm-hmm. that look at people's civic knowledge, and, and you see young people really don't know some of the basics about the constitution, about free Mm -hmm. expression, and so it could just be that they don't know that there are these protections. Mm -hmm. I think they also don't have um, the historical perspective on free speech Mm -hmm. to appreciate it, not as a tool to oppress, but as a tool of the oppressed, Mm -hmm. right? And so they don't understand how important the First Amendment was to things like the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And so, I think then, you know, that context is Uh is important when you're thinking about the importance of free speech and balancing that against protection of equal rights. Uh So I would point to civic knowledge decline. Um, Uh College and universities aren't doing any better. The Uh American Council of Trustees and Alumni did a review of core curriculums at Uh the top, I think it's a thousand, might be more, Uh colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Only 18% require a course in American government or American history. Okay. So they okay. don't have the civic skills to engage in conversation and, and hold mm-hmm. their own and have the mm-hmm. confidence that they can participate in a marketplace of ideas and come out the winner. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then right. you want to shut things down.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I grew up in India, so I went to high school there and I went to, came to America for college. So in high school in America, let's say 20 years ago or 30 years ago what did a, the average student learn about the First Amendment in high school?
1: I, I think, you know, that's a good question. I uh-huh. don't know, you know, I, I I can only base it on what I was learning in school. Uh-huh. Um, but I think um, what we're seeing is that the actual knowledge has declined. So, okay, so when you look yeah. generationally and just yeah. ask basic questions, the kinds of questions you would find on a, on a U.S. citizenship test, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Americans do taken... really
1: poorly on them, yeah. <laughs> right? And they're doing yeah. worse and worse over time. Right. Um, we used to have we used to have standardized testing for civics,
2: right. um,
1: and that was taken off due to budget cuts. I think right. in 2012.
2: Okay. Um, but
1: the last time we did it in our high schools, the scores were dismal. Mm-hmm. So so we had failing grades and said, oh, let's not bother anymore. Yeah. We'll stop testing for that.
2: Right. Um,
1: and I think a lot of critique of K through 12 education is that we're more and more teaching to the tests uh-huh. and so if we're testing in math and science and reading that's uh-huh. where the emphasis is.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I don't know what we're teaching in civics but uh-huh. you know they take history courses uh-huh. but I think the emphasis isn't as, as much on that. Okay. I used to do uh, a little experiment with my college students when they came in to my American government class and uh-huh. I would ask them how many had American government in high school and uh-huh. almost all of their hands would go up Right. And I would ask a second question, which is how many of you had um, courses that were taught by somebody whose primary role at your high school was as a coach and about mm. half the hands would stay up?
2: Wow. OK. Right.
1: Yeah. So again, it seems to be just something that, you know, OK, we have to teach this. Anybody can teach it. Um, mm. I'm not sure it's the the content and, and the quality and even just the enthusiasm that used to be yeah. there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when you teach college students, do you uh, do you introduce that topic and and talk to them about the importance of tolerance? And and do you see any effects?
1: I do. Um, And that's I I teach, a course, on political psychology. We covered a lot in political psychology. Um, My students in my research methods, course, do surveys of our campus Uh and they often measure political tolerance on campus and do uh-huh. all sorts of fun research projects with that. Uh-huh. One of them a couple of years ago looked at political tolerance across disciplines.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The highest political tolerance was among political scientists.
0: Okay. Right? Well, they so, appreciate the history of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I
1: don't know if that's my influence or other people's influence. What I yeah. think it is is these right. are people that are used to talking politics and have that civic confidence. Right. 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 The lowest, the lowest tolerance was among our education majors. Okay. So that's that that's indicative to me of what's going on in K through 12. Uh-huh. And I think in K through 12 there isn't an emphasis on free speech because there's more concern about anti-bullying. Uh-huh. There's more concern about limiting speech to create welcoming environments. Uh-huh. And I think that's an important goal, right? I'm not uh-huh. dismissing that as, as a goal, but yeah. I think we have to be very careful about how we're balancing that message uh-huh. um, so that people have some nuance and some context about when speech is okay and when it's not.
0: Uh-huh. So you, uh, I mean, was there a certain point when you consciously decided to introduce a lesson plan about the history of political tolerance and its importance?
1: I think I've always done it in my political okay. psychology course it seems mm-hmm. like a natural topic in a kind of introductory political psychology course uh-huh. um, but but when I started studying it more then mm-hmm. then that section grew right okay. The, okay. The, the emphasis on that grew
0: okay so does it, when you teach it um, how do you convey the importance of it i mean what do you tell your students
1: uh, everything for me is research based right okay. so yeah. so I want people to know what the evidence is and what the data is, Uh and what we see in the literature going back 60 years is Uh evidence that political intolerance is harmful to the democratic vitality of a society. Uh So when political intolerance levels are high, everybody perceives that they have less freedom, including the groups that you aimed to protect with your kind of Mercusa intolerance perspective. And so everybody's participation declines when you have this politically intolerant kind of ethos
2: Um,
1: and so we have treated political intolerance as a huge problem for many 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 years Mm -hmm. mostly because I think it was associated with conservatives Mm -hmm. and conservatives were seen as intolerant mostly for security reasons Mm -hmm. so when they felt that there was some sort of security threat Mm-hmm. Intolerance grew, and so you saw mm-hmm. this after 9/11, with people willing to suspend civil liberties and civil rights in order mm-hmm. to secure, um, you know, our borders and and make mm-hmm. the, you know, fight against terrorism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so for a long time, it was just, you know, conservatives are intolerant,
2: right. and
1: liberals were the advocates of free speech.
2: Right.
1: That has changed, and we have to be careful here because I don't think. The evidence is that liberals are now more intolerant than conservatives,
2: uh-huh.
1: but they're now matching them, okay. right? right? And so, what what you had is you used to have this segment of society, this this liberal segment, that were the defenders of free speech,
2: uh-huh. and
1: we've lost that. So what we have now is no one's defending free speech.
0: Uh-huh. Well, one um, of the things that uh, go uh, ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say one of the things that I've seen in psychology research is Ronnie Janoff-Buhlman's work on um, social justice versus social order as the foundations of mm-hmm. liberal versus conservative thoughts. So for liberals, the social justice orientation is a kind of an extension of a personal moral, moral orientation towards pursuing goals enthusiastically, whereas for conservatives, the social order orientation is a extension of the personal idea of pursuing goals cautiously. Um, and so I would imagine that what you see now is for liberals um, a certain set of issues around social justice are sacred and for conservatives a certain set of issues around social order which includes protecting the country things like security are, are in fact the sacred issues um, but you're also finding this umbrella effect if i understand correctly is that correct how, how so yeah. what do you mean by that oh i meant like in in general there there's some uh like intolerance towards both the left and the right I mean, perhaps the question about the yeah. radical Muslim creature who preaches hate towards the U.S., that probably touches a nerve both for people concerned with social justice and concerned with social order. Um, yeah. but, uh, so that's what I meant by umbrella effect. You find both people on the left right. and right being intolerant towards certain people.
1: Right. And and that's why I think the effects of intolerance are, are wider than most people believe. And, okay. and it's, it's not just that there's an, this umbrella effect, but intolerance just tends to be If you're intolerant, there's a general level of intolerance. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at these measures of intolerance, the GSS asks about some liberal groups, it asks about Mm -hmm. some conservative groups, and most people would expect liberals are just intolerant of conservative groups and conservatives Mm -hmm. are just intolerant of liberal groups. Mm -hmm. But what you find is that those measures are actually positively correlated. Mm -hmm. So people that are intolerant towards one group Mm -hmm. are more likely to be intolerant towards all the other groups, liberal or conservative. Uh-huh. And so I think one of the things that might be going on is this perception of well you know what's fair is fair right uh-huh. and You're so right. if if this group is offensive to me and uh-huh. they can't speak then maybe I acknowledge that this group that's offensive to you shouldn't be allowed to speak either Okay. And so so there's this general just lessening of the of freedom for everybody uh-huh. across the board You're including right. the groups you want to protect. So uh-huh. so yeah there's if you're intolerant of racists, you're also more likely to be intolerant of the Muslims, right? Okay. They, it's positively correlated.
0: Right. Uh, We're well, Muslim fundamentalists in particular. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, that makes sense. Um, so I want to talk a bit about some of your other research now. You found that students tend to sense what the professor's ideologies are, and they tend to sense that most professors are Democrats and most professors are liberal but that doesn't seem to be turning students off from careers in academia per se. Um, Is that, have you been continuing research on that area? Does that still seem to hold true?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a slight dip in that for conservatives, but what Uh we found um, in the book chapter um, Mm on, you know, why conservatives don't go into academia, what we found is that this liberal conservative bias for academia starts way before they get to college. So okay. among high school students, conservatives mm-hmm. are far less likely to say they want to get a PhD mm-hmm. than liberals are. Right. Okay. And so there's, I think, a lot of complicated sociological explanations for that. Right. Um, but you know, we, we see ideological imbalances in lots of fields because mm-hmm. what it is in that field um, appeals to a certain type of person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a lot of research that shows that ideology um, is connected to our personality traits. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And so so, you know, if you think about liberal personalities, they tend to be people we, that, that want freedom, that don't like, you know, yeah. authority and nine to five jobs and structure. They're they're right. they're they're less structured. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you ask academics why they went into academia. Not mm-hmm. having that structure and having that flexibility and, and varied routines and not having a boss tend to be yeah. pretty high on the list of reasons. And right. so that I think lines up with a more liberal personality type.
0: Okay. Um, so in the past, uh, let's say 10 years, have you seen any current conservative students from political science go into academia and then stay in academia from your particular department?
1: I have. I yeah, have okay. um, a, a number of them, but I think okay. my department at Elizabethtown College is somewhat unique. Um, okay. We've had a very balanced mix of liberals, conservatives, and moderates since uh-huh. I've been there. Okay. Um, and and so uh, the student body as well is about evenly divided liberal conservative. Uh-huh. Um, so, So I think it's a place where conservatives feel a bit more like they're part of the mix, uh-huh. um, and so we at least aren't um, doing uh-huh. anything to discourage them pr- from going into academia.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and that leads to, I think, the second thing that I think is going on that is leading to political intolerance on campuses, uh-huh. and that is the decline of viewpoint diversity. Uh-huh. So um, when Samuel Stauffer wrote um, the first study on political tolerance in 1955, Mm-hmm. he found uh, a strong effect of education. As you right. become more educated, you become more tolerant. Right. Um, and that effect still holds. It's still the case mm-hmm. that more educated people are more tolerant than mm-hmm. than people that are not as educated. Right. The effect of that might be declining. And the right. reason why the effect might be declining, as Daufer said, the reason why education has this effect and the reason right. why education matters mm-hmm. is that going to college and getting an education exposes you Uh to viewpoint diversity. That's the point he makes, right? Uh And so some of the other studies that um, some of our colleagues at Heterodox Academy have done show Uh that viewpoint diversity at some colleges, especially in the Northeast, Uh is declining. Right. right? So if that was the mechanism, if that was the causal link between education and tolerance, Uh as intellectual diversity in higher education becomes more diminished, we're going to see Uh political intolerance decline because the effect of education is going to lessen.
0: So do you feel like the students who go to Elizabethtown and then go on to do PhDs in political science or psychology um, seem to have an advantage because they have more knowledge of other viewpoints?
1: Yeah, except, you know, I have to say that I think political science in general tends mm-hmm. to be a more tolerant discipline than some of the other fields.
2: Okay. Um, and I
1: think there's data on that. Uh-huh. Um, we have a slightly higher mix of conservatives than mm-hmm maybe psychology, right. we definitely have a higher mix of conservatives than sociology. Yeah. Um, and so I think in general, political science students, lots of places, are getting mm-hmm. more exposure to political diversity and political arguments than students in some other fields.
2: Mm-hmm. What about but Libertari-
1: I think it is important, I think it makes them you know, better scholars.
0: Right, I would agree. Uh, what about libertarians? Do you have any students who uh, self-identify as libertarian?
1: Yes, our Young American for Liberties group is, our, is usually our most active political group on campus,
2: okay. um,
1: so they are, they're a strong, politically active group. Um, mm-hmm. What I like about um, a small school like Elizabethtown College, where you have lots of different, um, where, where you have a mix of ideologies among your students,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is they can't self-isolate. Um, right. My college president, my college um, Democrat president, uh-huh. sits beside my college, my Young Americans for Liberties uh-huh. president in okay. my research methods class, Great. and they help each other on the SPSS labs. Okay. And so what we okay. saw um, this last election cycle, as uh-huh. divisive as America is, our uh-huh. three political student groups had um, a joint voter registration drive, okay. they had a joint event on election night, they were uh-huh. together watching those results come in. You know, my college Republicans were comforting my Good. college Democrats that are, yeah. you know, beside yeah, yeah. themselves watching the results come in.
0: All right. So what's the ratio of uh, people in Young Americans for Liberty versus Young Republicans at your college? Is, are they about equally split in terms of membership?
1: Um, he, I think the college Republicans is, is still a little bit larger. Uh-huh. But what's funny is I have a number of students that are in both.
2: Okay. Um, so there's
1: some okay. crossover there.
2: Okay. Um, Okay.
1: And and each of our groups kind of waxes and wanes depending on election cycles or Mm -hmm. even who the student leaders are at the time and what types Mm -hmm. of activities they're planning. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, Okay, and uh, if you were to recommend uh, a book or an article for professors outside your discipline, say people in psychology or sociology who are interested in uh, teaching their students about the history of political tolerance in the US, um, either from a theory perspective or from a data perspective.
2: What would you
1: recommend oh that's a good question because it's hard to identify just one book okay well let's say you uh, have to
0: recommend two or
1: three. Uh so so i i actually like diana Mutz's work um okay. on hearing the other side uh-huh. uh, and and looking at how even on our social networks we're we're self-isolating uh-huh. i think understanding the human tendency to do that is extremely important uh-huh. of course i of course i would recommend um Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, Uh um, looking at why people are divided by politics and religion. I Uh think that's an important one. So those are two that come to mind. I have a long list.
0: Okay. All right. Um, And uh, lastly, a lot of the the discussions we've had are about college students, but your point is that youth in general, regardless of whether they get a college degree or not, seem to be uh, less tolerant. Is that correct? (laughs)
1: Yeah, and on average, the ones that aren't in college are less tolerant than the ones that are.
0: Okay.
1: So so this isn't something that's just happening on college campuses. I think okay. college campuses become kind of a spotlight for uh-huh. this. Right. Um, and I actually, you know, I wouldn't even say that college campuses are creating this, uh-huh. but I would argue that if we are serious about the mission of higher education, we have an obligation uh-huh. to counter it. This uh-huh. is the place where people are supposed to learn, um, uh-huh. to listen to other people, and to uh-huh. engage in ideas that that you know are different than their own. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it is a broader social trend. I think you mm-hmm. see it on social media. Right. Um, I like studies where you know people are, are um now more offended if mm-hmm. their son or daughter marries somebody of a different party right. than of a different same race map. or religion. Right. I see that, yeah. So so I think it's it's infected our society
2: mm-hmm.
1: broadly. Um, mm-hmm. it plays out on college campuses. I think sometimes we um, Create conditions on college campuses mm-hmm. that foster intolerance mm-hmm. and allow it to kind of grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we defend it. We defend it more than I think in other environments.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to social media, one thing I've recently noticed—I don't know why I didn't notice this earlier—is that uh, even though Twitter and Facebook get a lot of press coverage, if you look at a site like Quora, which definitely has, you know, tens of thousands of users. Um, you do find a lot of inter-party dialogue there, inter ideology dialogue on Quora. Um, I don't think it'll ever be as popular as Twitter because it's not a site where you just write a short sentence of 144 characters and throw it out there. But because you need because you want to be upvoted there, you want to give a legitimate answer and not just be snarky. And I found that encouraging. Of course, you know, it's a smaller site. So there's that. Yeah, but I think people And I would the I would
1: wonder out. I would wonder about the, you know The people that are on that site, how they differ from the people on social media in general. Uh Um, You're probably getting a very select subgroup of people who want to engage Uh in that type of dialogue and debate.
0: Right. Um, Yeah. uh Probably people who are a little higher in maybe cognitive complexity and want to learn more about the nuances. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Twitter is almost designed for you to throw barbs at other people because it's so because you have this 144 character limit.
2: Yeah,
1: and and this there are studies of um, you know Twitter and who people follow that show uh-huh. you know they are ideological enclaves,
2: uh-huh. right? So
1: you tend to follow people who you agree with politically, uh-huh. um, and so then we get in the these echo chambers where people aren't exposed to different ideas. They don't know uh-huh. how to handle different ideas, um, uh-huh. and if different ideas are offensive to us when we get to college, then our uh-huh. instinct is to shut them down and ban them.
0: Uh-huh. I mean, one of the things I've seen the New York Times do, I think every Friday now they have a collection of pointers to articles from the center left and right. I forget the exact title of the article they use, but it's a compilation of links to articles on the web. Um, I think they started it just about a month and a half ago. I remember I retweeted it and John Hyde retweeted a link to it recently as well. So that's encouraging too, I think.
1: It is encouraging, except yeah. also, I mean, it's hard to to break out of our ideological silo even when we read uh-huh. something from the other side because right. the evidence from social psychology is when we read something we agree with, it's credible.
2: Right. When
1: we read something we disagree with, we are much more critical of the methods and the right. argument and we find flaws and then we dismiss it. Right. So just reading things I think is a start, uh-huh. but I think I think we owe it to college students to also make them aware of these kind of cognitive biases that we all have. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and you're going to be more, more skeptical of something mm-hmm. that you disagree with and you're going to find flaws in it where you didn't treat an argue, article you agreed with the same way.
2: Mm-hmm. And students
1: knowing that and knowing how to recognize their own mm-hmm. limitations
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, in terms of assessing arguments I think is really important.
0: Okay. That's a good point too. Well, I guess we do have this challenge of what to do with uh, people who don't take college courses. and in political science and of course there always will be some i mean i didn't take any i was fascinated by politics so i read about it and fortunately i was in social psychology which is connected closely to it but there is that larger issue anyway i think we'll wrap things up here but thank you for your time you're welcome thank you for having me okay appreciate it take care
1: thanks chris